Go ahead, Ray. You! You worthless piece of slime! You ignorant, disgusting clown! Nothing but an unstable short chain molecule! It's the stuff. It's like pure concentrated evil. It's all flowing right to this spot. Material devolution has begun. We are back at it again, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a minute, but it's good to be back. Fourth of July happened, life happened. But we're here again, we're changing things up, we're broadcasting from actually the pad of Mr. Matt Walter today. How are you doing, sir? Doing good, doing good, sitting here, chilling. Got uh, some sunshine outside again. San Diego, gotta love it. How long has it been? It's been a month. Man. Yeah, we were going good for a minute there. We had a couple weekly podcasts. Like I said, life life happens. You know? It does. It happens quick, doesn't it? You know, uh, I think also the news cycle, it's, it's easy to get burnt out. We were talking like the week after we did our last podcast, I think, was the uh, Confederate flag shooter. We just got sick of black people dying. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, no kidding. I mean, like, yeah. honestly, I mean, didn't it like really, it, it's draining. I mean, I'm not saying that as, as a joke. I'm saying that to bring attention to the fact that it was so redundant and so often regular in the cycle of news over the course of the spring that we sit, we literally got sick of like thinking about it. We're like, you know what? I don't even want to think about the Confederate flag. My God, were we having this conversation in 2015? Well, to be fair to the stories, usually the couple stories we covered before was the police shooting black people. In this case, it was just a regular white person shooting black people. <laughs> right. So there was, a different di- there, there was a different dynamic going on. It was interesting how the media did portray it, though. Remember, he was a troubled youth because he's white. But when there was the black guy, he was an out-of-control gangster, wannabe thug. The guy was a thug. You know, very, very different uh, portrayal in the media. But yeah, we're tired of talking about that. We could talk about racism and gun control and violence pretty much every week if you wanted. So we're going to talk about a lighter topic, a lighter Uh, subject. Donald Trump. That's what we do on the podcast, Matt. We look for fun, feel-good topics and bring up the positivity in the community. Well, we try to do that second part. Well, at least this one isn't so serious. You know, Donald Trump himself is not a serious individual. The fact that people take him serious is serious, I think. It's the best way of putting it. That's serious. So, yeah, that is that is serious. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to get into this deep, huh? <laughs> so, uh, we want to talk about Donald Trump a little just because, you know, there's not too much reverberating the news we we're that interested in. But it was very interesting seeing the echo chamber of Donald Trump. You know, he recently made some very... Uh, controversial statements, let's say the least, when he was announcing his bid for presidency. I believe the quote was that really set people off. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. It's not the soccer end quote, team. End quote. That, that was the, the quote <coughs> by Trump that kind of set things off. And uh, Matt and myself, we actually just watched this very, uh, very interesting long interview Trump did with uh, NBC's Katie Turr, it's posted on NBC.com, unedited, about 30 minutes, and you really get a more in-depth look at the psychology of this very, very depressing, disturbed, megalomaniac sociopath. I think you really understand who Donald Trump is watching this. If you didn't. I mean, if you want to understand Donald Trump, just watch 10 Minutes of The Apprentice, the end scene in the boardroom. You'll understand Donald Trump perfectly. He wants to be in charge, he's right about everything, if he's interrupting you, it's because you deserved it, and he's doing you a favor by telling you the truth to remind you how big his fortune is, and, you're, fortune. Fi- and you're fired. And you're fired. He, he is very, very chief executive officer, right? I mean, like that. That's that. I mean, if you want to, he is that in a nutshell. It's my way. I'm gonna tell you the truth, and because I built this is why you should respect me and what I say and take it as gold. No matter what comes out of my mouth, I know. Don't tell me about your freaking stats. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe those. And uh, that's just the way it is. Yeah, I mean, for, for lack of a better analogy, Donald Trump's that guy who was born on third and not only thinks he hit a triple... He also thinks he invented baseball. <laughs> yeah. And we're fortunate enough that he brought us this glorious game to appreciate and bask in his glow. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't even know that baseball existed. We wouldn't even be talking about baseball right now. Yeah. Because I brought this up three weeks ago. I told those guys, hey, 
we got something here. Oh, and because that I told them, now we're talking about the baseball. Because I said something. Because I said something and brought it to the forefront. Yeah, that was a big thing in this interview. We're going to link to uh, the interview in this article. So if you want to see 30 minutes of pure. Right, that probably sounded really cryptic. Yeah. Like they're like, I don't understand. You will if you watch the interview. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's 30 minutes of pure, unadulterated, you know, just garbage being spewed by, by Trump. Well, NBC's Katie Turr deals with it very professionally. He's very rude. He interrupts her. He bullies her. Uh, you know, he claims what she's saying is lies. He goes out of his way to insult and abuse anybody who's ever criticized him, of course, because no criticism of the impenetrable man of ethics and, you know, I guess morality of Donald Trump could be, even be questioned. Even to ask questions is an insult to Mr. Trump. So it's really a good interview to watch, though, if you want to get a good grasp on the psychology of him. A thing that you'd pointed out, and we couldn't help but keep noticing, it's almost weird. It's, it's, for example, when you meet somebody in Southern California and maybe they speak too much slang, they'll use the word like all the time. And once you notice it, it's impossible to listen to them right. without, without right. hearing that word like every right. single time. It's a crutch. You know that it thing. happens on the radio a lot. When we first started this podcast, like we both realized like, that we had crutch words and that we needed to you really know, focus on like, the way we deliver. Um, yeah, all that exactly. stuff. So when somebody that's very interesting, still do that nowadays. I mean, those are transitional phrases. But you meet that valley girl who goes, and she was like, and he was like, and I was like, and they were like, and you can't listen to them without hearing that every single time they say it. It breaks your train of thought, and all you can think is, man, this person just has no grasp of what they're saying. With Trump, he doesn't use the word like; he uses the words I and me. Oh yeah. Over and over and over. And you realize the narrative of his discussion is to not talk about the issues and facts and how people think about them and, you know, what actually is going on into play. It's about him and his perspective on things. And that's the only thing that matters because he speaks as if his perspective is proven fact. It's the center. It's the origin of every thought is I. Yes. When I... Turn that freaking pile of rubble, that freaking 30 years, empty. Thirty years of the it hole sat in the there as a hole in the ground for thirty years, and it was an eyesore. It was unsafe, and there was probably a lot of drug dealing done by illegal immigrants there. And then I built this shining fucking tower that brings people of the world together to spend money for chips and other vices that they like to uh, enjoy while they're at the. Uh, the um, Jersey Shore. And may, <laughs> and may I remind you that many legal immigrants from Mexico were involved in the construction of those properties. Yeah, I love all of those Mexicans. So what me and Matt are doing there is we're kind of trolling this interview because those aren't direct quotes, but that's kind of the gist of his line of speaking is that any problem that existed, it was He's already solved it. it. It was basically, though, before he even thought about doing anything, it was this bastion of pain and suffering that just existed in some permeant limbo of American society. And then the moment he decided to do something about it, the problem was solved. The problem was solved. Or he brought it up to the powers that be that had control over the situation that were in charge. And they either listened to him and it was solved or it, they didn't. And it's still a hodgepodge bullshit like Iraq. Yeah. I, I thought the really crazy thing, and I asked you this, and I, I want to ask you on the podcast now was, there was the part where uh, she asked him in the beginning, how are we supposed to take you seriously as a candidate? When over 4th of July weekend, you weren't anywhere to be seen. Every other major Republican presidential candidate, pardon me, little coffee burp there, was uh, campaigning somewhere. You know, they're in New Hampshire, they're making the media rounds. And there's kind of like this almost, let's call it a uh, facade of government where... The process is you have to go out, campaign, go to town hall meetings, let people give you their thoughts, show that you can handle their answers in public decorum. It's kind of just this assumed process of the political process where if you want to be taken seriously, you need to jump through these hoops. And so Katie Tur asked him, she says, how can we take you seriously if you're not campaigning and everybody else is? And he goes, it doesn't matter. They're talking about me the most in the media. And you pointed out he's right. And, and that was a very interesting point you made because, in a way, that's the way things have changed in the political landscape. 
He doesn't even need to go through the facade of pretending to listen to have the most impact. What matters is what the media, yeah, the media chamber echoes the most. So do you think that's the way politics are going, where we're almost not going to even see the facade of politicians pretending to listen? Yes. Why were they? Why would they spend that money on traveling around and campaigning and having this charade of these uh, town hall meetings, et cetera, et cetera, when you can just get up there on the bully pulpit and with the blowhorn on freaking every single major network and just yell your shit over and over and over again and then have a couple of big conventions around the country, just like the RNC or the DNC. I mean, like, we people throw events that are that big all the time now and so like they're making money where they can throw larger events instead of having these smaller ones and they can reach more people at one time create even more emotional response during the campaigning why wouldn't you do that yeah i think they're almost trying to control the narrative by removing and remember the less that you have the can the candidate actually out there and in these situations where they might be uh diverted from their talking points the more that you can actually control the message yeah. from a more central organization. That's what I was going to say. You know, it seems like it's narrative control because you go to these town hall meetings, they're usually pretty vetted. You're not going to see too many questions that you didn't see coming, but you're forced to be put in a position where people get to question your proposals and your ideology. They're going to throw things out there and you might not always have the best answer to complement their question. Well, if all you're doing is giving speeches, then you always have the best example in that moment in time and nobody gets to question it. I'm gonna go up and speak for 30 minutes, tell you why I'm right, and then say have a nice day. And you, if, if you wanna criticize it, you can do it all you want, but I'm not gonna be there to put up with the criticism. Yeah, and then you're gonna Because the criticisms aren't valid. So if I'm not gonna to listen to them, then I'm not giving them any credibility. Exactly. Even if they're complete bullshit, whatever I'm saying. And, and the listen, man, and then they can create the atmosphere around the, the whole entire speech and the engagement. And so they actually can control the emotional the emotions of the engagement itself by making it like this like spectacle. And so you're listening to this one person, again, from this solo location, just putting out their message without any, without any discourse, right? It's an interesting strategy because you know what. But Trump's doing it, man, and he's doing it well. I mean, like honestly, he, he's his points jumped um, because he does tap the heartstrings of a certain segment of America, and I think that's the part where you're like, that's kind of serious. Um, is that he actually does strike a chord with these people, and, and and it is on an emotional level. It listen to what he says. Everything is based on is based on uh, the criminality of the illegal immigrants, the fact that the Mexican government is pushing them across the border, just like Castro did in the 80s. So freaking like Tony Montana was able to come across, yep. right? And so uh, that's the that's the narrative, and that's the that's the 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 picture that he's painting for people. And so. What is their response? Oh my God, we need to electrify the border, throw some more drones up there, and put some landmines. And yet, they've never even been down to the border. I mean, shoot, I spent 4th of July in Mexico for four days. I mean, like, talk about traveling across the border. I go down there, you go down there, we've hung out in Mexico, no problems, right? Just like, just like here, except for they don't speak a different language, and they probably would help you out if you needed some uh, some serious help. No, for the most part, <laughs> they're the nicest people. The things, sure. the things you're really worried about is the fact that like there's a lot of corrupt, corrupt corruption down there. So, right. you're, so, so the, the, your biggest fear is getting shaken down at some yeah, point. Yeah. But that wouldn't be the regular person on the street shaking you down. That'd be some type of like you know police or federales doing and something. And look, like and that. I'm speaking of one border crossing. You saw landmines. <laughs> I'm speaking of one border crossing, you know. Be careful, I mean, be, like, careful be careful going back to Mexico, man. Gotta watch out for those landmines, apparently. Wow. I'm just saying, I know that there's a select group of people that the Minutemen, the Minutemen are they on would the make border. It like, be like, Have you seen Jurassic World? We need one of those motherfucking fences. Keep that white dinosaur in that motherfucker. Hey, white dinosaur and Mexicans. Hey, if it if it can't keep the genetically altered T Rex, how's it gonna keep the Mexicans? I'm just saying. They're way more dangerous, according to Trump. Yes, way more for sure. Even though, we, I just read an interesting statistic that they only, they only make up 52% of the entire illegal immigrant population in the United States. Well, that's an interesting fact. They said that the majority of illegal immigrants now, it's shifted, and it's people who've overstayed their visas from Europe and Asia. Yeah. Right? Well, let, let me ask you this, and, and, and I'm not naming names or, or, or time frames here, but I've known people that have done that. 
Of course. That were upstanding. I mean, we had good jobs and like, you know, we're, we're working and doing whatever they were doing and they stayed over their thing and they're like, yeah, you know, we'll, we're working on it. We're trying to, we're trying to become, you know, citizens and it's, it's just a process. So, you know, right now here, here I am, you know, it, it's funny. They play the sickest game with people because it's like you give somebody a taste of something that they realistically getting legal immigration status is so difficult. There's so many people applying to be legal immigrants. It's literally a lottery. Your odds of winning are very low. So you give everybody a taste by giving that temporary immigration status. And then it's like, well, you got to say goodbye in like a year or two. But if you don't want to say goodbye, all you have to do is not leave. You're kind of like positioning well, somebody to take advantage of that. And usually when you come here, you're either on a student visa or some other or a work visa or whatever it is. And so you actually start your professional life here start in some way right? and you start to assimilate and you start to like build roots of some sort. And then all of a sudden it's kind of ripped out from under you. And, um, they, uh, and then, um, you know, they say, okay, now you got to move. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I had to mess with the, the highs. I was getting a little, that's okay. There's a lot of benefits from allowing that temporary immigration status, you know, but there's always the risk that people stay. I mean, it's always going to be a contentious debate. There's no black or white to it. It's super gray. There's so many layers to it. What you're saying is interesting, though, is that Trump's comments, they're so inflammatory, but they are reverberating. And here we are talking about it. And this great article we read by Jim Wallace uh, titled Donald Trump, Narcissist in Chief, I've got a few choice quotes from it here uh, that I wanted to pull out because I think they're, they're really good for us to talk about. And what he pointed out was this, uh, quote, dot, 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 because Donald Trump is a salesman, and that's really all he is, and the only product Trump really sells is the only thing he really believes in, himself. He's made another calculation, another deal, that he can have success with a certain political segment of America. I think Trump has decided to reach down, and I do mean down, to the hardcore of the Republican base, which is white, angry, and very right-wing, a constituency that is especially active and indeed overrepresented in the primary phase of every presidential campaign, end quote. And what's so interesting about that is he's so spot on that, you know, what these candidates are able to do, whether you're on the left or the right, is you take this stance that's going to reverberate with a minority, like it used to be with the Tea Party before. The Tea Party... Wasn't that kind of who he's talking about? That is the Tea Party. The old, I mean, the old Tea Party, in a way. It shifted a little. But you, you that's who we went to. But the birther movement before is the Tea Party. The yeah. Tea Party's kind of died down a little away, and it shifted. I don't know what you'd call this new party. Um, angry white motherfuckers. Yeah. Angry, <laughs> angry, a, angry white people from the 1950s. Something like that. But what you do is, is you essentially take that stance that's super inflammatory... And you know the majority of people don't support it, but the minority of people who do are the most vocal. And because of that, it gives it the most reverberation. You know, people are going to, if you go to the political base that has the loudest voice, then they're going to start speaking so because much, it makes it sound that you're like more supported than your view actually is because it's being talked about so much. I mean, do I think the majority of people support Trump's views? Well, listen, there's two types of selling, right? There's a logical and practical side of selling where you're actually selling something that really does benefit something to somebody, right? And so then there's an emotional side of selling where you're actually trying to create an emotional response to get to trigger them to buy from you, right? So Trump is very, very smart. I mean, he is a businessman. He says that over and over again. I built a fortune. I built a fortune. Yeah, okay. On the backs of other people that you broke, but that's all right. We'll leave that alone. Yeah. Everybody d everybody topic. knows the different business topic. practices of Donald Trump. But yeah. the fact of the matter is, is that he uses this tactic, right, to go straight to the most fucking responsive and reactive group of the entire right wing. I am going to go and I am going to hit him right where it counts that Obama is a Muslim. I don't know about his birth certificate. We're that still up in the air with me. I don't listen to your freaking uh, stats on immigration because I just don't believe them. And I built a fortune. And the fact of the matter is, is that people should follow me because I was able to start at the top and end up even higher because I built this fortune and out on the back of another fortune. I went to the best school. I went to Wharton. 
hey, you're not going to believe this fortune when you, I mean, like, you're not going to. People aren't even going to believe it. You're not going to understand. Know. When numbers. he releases these numbers, you're not even going to understand. People don't even get it. So how do you get me, Mr. Trump, if I can't get, if I can't wrap my head around the billions of dollars that you have, that you've amassed in your career, how are you going to get down to the base, Mr. I've been to the border three times over the years? Yeah, you know, Donald Trump never has a clear answer unless it suits him. And it's not surprising because I, I kind of consider him Bush 2.0 because what George Bush was, was a failed CEO, essentially, you know, he ran an oil company in the ground, he ran the Texas Rangers into the ground, but because of being a Bush, coming from that political dynasty, he was primed to run for president, and he had a very, very populist approach to politics, which is, I'm the confident CEO who knows what's going to work. And so you've got Trump coming in from this position of being like, look, I'm super confident. I say what's on my mind. I'm a I'm a decider, just like George Bush. But I was actually six. I'm gonna give the perception that I'm successful yeah. as a CEO because that's just what George Bush did. That I'm George successful in a vacuum, and I did it myself. And because I did it myself, that means all of my decisions that I made throughout the entire process were correct. So that means I don't make any wrong decisions now. Everything that I do and say is the right thing. So all of you people down there should follow me because I've amassed this fortune. And because I've amassed this fortune for myself, by running this government, I can amass fortunes for you. I mean, if you see government that way, that should be run as a business, Trump's your guy. I mean, running a government, there's money involved in every aspect of it. It's impossible to remove it. But ultimately, running a government's about managing and working with people. When you're running a business, your only primary objective is the managing and control of money. That, that's really the whole point of a business. A government that's supposed to be secondary. Trump wants to make it primary, and I guess so do a lot of people who support him. So he's the perfect candidate for people who see America as a giant corporation that should be run like one. Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that, I mean, I, even talking to, about this and the fact that, that in the context that he might become president, no, it's pretty no. much a joke. I mean, like, there's no way... There's no way that you could put that guy in a room with freaking other diplomats from freaking other countries and walk out and, and with confidence being like, there's not going to be a nuclear fucking war after this meeting's over. I don't even know how serious he is. It's a brand building exercise for him. He gets his name in the news and reverberated nonstop to hundreds of millions of people for another year or two. What's he going to do now that Macy's so then, dropped his line? Though? He gets I mean, to sell like, another so book. He gets to have another TV book. show. He gets to build another shitty casino. He gets to do something to keep his ego stroked, himself in the public limelight, the public spotlight, because... Maybe it would be like Trump takes Kentucky. Now that he's going after that kind of... That's his base he? right there. Is it? No, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but the other quote I wanted to pull out, and I mean, this is kind of where we're going here, uh, is that... Everything Trump's about is just about himself, and that's the narrative he's run. So the quote here is that Trump's ethics are very clear here, or rather his non-ethics. Trump's pride in his own success literally trumps everything else. Shutting out reason, respect, experience, maturity, truth, civility, and certainly any sense of human compassion or empathy. End quote. So, you know, the author's really going after Trump here in a very very poignant and, and comical way to me at least i find it funny because there's a lot of truth reverberating that is that it's a very american concept where that we're so proud in our own success that we let our ego blind us to anything else that we should be taking into account like it's good to be proud of working hard and being successful but that shouldn't blind you out to the most basic other aspects of the human experience like empathy civility perspective, et cetera. Right, exactly. And look, here's the fact. The fact is that I, I mean, do I think Trump like works hard in like the, like the, the meaning of working hard to build your brand and your business? Yeah, look Hell at yeah. what he's doing. He's on freaking television now. And this is all brand building. That's what we're getting at is that like, again, he's a megalomaniac. He's seriously like, you know, he's he is King Trump to him. It's, like is everything that, is centered around him. It, it, if the if it wasn't for him, the world wouldn't work properly. I have people. I love Mexican. I know people down there. I have great diplomatic relationships with these people. I have investments over there. Like that's the way that he treats everything. Is that that's the way? If he has an investment in that country, then he has a good relationship with that country. 
and that's the that but everything is still centered around him so it's not uh, yeah that guy he's too caught up in it i mean we like you said we want somebody who's successful to be president it's not that it's a bad thing to be successful it's a bad thing when the idea of your own success blinds you to any other approach to an issue because just because you did it one way doesn't mean there aren't other approaches to it that have just as much validity but people love that type of i go based on my feeling on my gut i know what's right it's a very easy type of emotion to get behind and listen i don't want the sm- i don't want the president to be the smartest guy in the room honestly on every topic i want the i want the president to be to have himself surrounded by different opinions that collectively make the smartest mind in the room because that's the way to run something so large and so with with such gravity in the decisions that you make is that you need to have you ultimately need to make the decision he needs to have the greatest mind but not necessarily be the smartest on each topic that's why i mean it's crazy because we're stuck in this dichotomy where and that's what he fails to recognize too that's one of the failures of donald trump that's the problem is that like he might be a smart guy in some aspects of business of course i mean you don't get to where you are without doing something well right and so the, that that's okay the fact of the matter is though is that you have he fails to recognize the opinions of others are at take them at the same value of his own i i mean i, I was trying to say it's just such a strange dichotomy because i think you'd agree to be president or to want to be president, to think you should be president, you do have to be some type of an egomaniac in some way to think like, yeah, I should be in control of the world. Like, no, Obama to anybody else, you have to have some of that in you. So we kind of all accept that. Like, yeah, you kind of need to be a bit of an egomaniac if you're going to be president. But on the flip side, it's like to be the best president possible, you need to be humble enough to surround yourself with the smartest people possible who are going to have no problem telling you you're wrong. But an egomaniac is going to want to surround themselves with people who are going to tell them they're right and support them on everything. Yeah. So they're basically stuck in a trap. It's like, look, you need to be this type of person in order to take this role. But to do this job well, you need to do the exact opposite. Yep. You know, so how can somebody Because you need to be a wise person, and a wise person understands that fact. They're not, they're not going to surround themselves with yes men. Right which is very difficult to do when you're in the highest echelons of power because you're very concerned about your image. You have to be care about your ego to even want to do that job. Yeah, exactly. And to get there, right? Like you were saying, you have to really come from a place of, I can do this and I deserve it and this is where I'm going and I'm going to rule the world. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine running like a city council. And then you get there and you realize like the IMF runs the world, but it's all good. You know, like, like we talked about before, to even get on that ballot... You've already accepted enough money from people over the years where you're kind of in the pockets of all the right people. You understand how to even be playing that game. That's why like things like Trump, the outsider card, it's never serious because they haven't taken the money from the corporate interests where they're forced to play the game. So the corporate interests are just like they can say whatever they want. And then when push comes to shove, they're going to get completely ground up in the meat grinder of the system. I just think it's a joke that like there's so many people on the right side anyway. Isn't there like fucking 20 like candidates running right now? We'll talk about a waste of goddamn money. Yeah, I mean that's what – on the left side you've kind of got this interesting thing where like we've all assumed it's going to be Hillary Clinton. Nobody really expects Joe Biden to run even though they talked about oh, it. Oh, Hillary, dude. That's yeah, just a nightmare. I, I don't even like no, to get political but like this is where I'm getting at. So like I'm really like kind of torn this time around because I, 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 don't, I, I don't know what to say, bro. I don't. I don't even know. There's none of those jokers on the right are any good. And then you got Hillary on the left, and like she is like just an opportunistic person to me. Well, you got Bernie Sanders, who's you know he's a socialist Democrat, and he's actually raising a much louder voice than people expected. They thought this would just be like he would be the little Ross Perot for the Democratic Party, kind of that tiny voice pushing the conversation a little bit more to the left. He's actually reverberated a lot, and he's getting a much larger response. Well, the point I want to make is my mom asked me, you know, if I was registered to vote. I said, oh, I'm registered, but I don't vote. And she said, why? It was funny. We were at, we were at a theater about a show, and people were like, we're listening to it. I wasn't embarrassed to say it, but I could tell when I said my response. 
people gave me this funny look and said, why don't you vote? And I said, I don't believe in supporting a system where my only decision to make is supporting the lesser of two evils. That's not a real decision. You know, by like by giving my vote and saying, yeah, I'll support the lesser of two evils, I'm implicitly supporting the system because I'm agreeing to that structure that this is what we have, we're going to have two choices, they're both paid off, and one of them is going to be slightly less worse than the other, so the right thing to do is just support the person who's slightly less worse. Well, that perpetuates the system. If we had enough people refuse to vote, there would be no claim to validation if that person was elected president with a million votes. They need 40, 50, 60 million votes. If that person got a million votes and said, this is my declaration, this is what you guys think, people would be like, no, nobody voted for you. We're not listening to you. But because we're all kind of forced to play that game where, you know, you're given two choices, you don't like either one, it's going to be Hillary or well, Jack, Hillary or Rand, exactly, the two-party system, there's no representative government, you're forced to make a decision to support somebody you don't even like. And that's not a real choice. You know, I want to be able to back somebody who represents my stance, and even if they don't win, they still have a role to play in the system. And anybody I feel like I would ever back, they're never going to be given any support in the system to play any role whatsoever. In the UK, at least, you can support the anarchist party. You'll have a seat in parliament. There's anarchists in parliament because there's a subsection, 1-2%, who support that political ideology. So they're representative in the government. Here it's like, well... I'm not an anarchist, but if you're an anarchist, well, guess what? The closest person to the anarchist is the socialist. He's never going to get elected. And the closest person to the socialist is the Democrat. So if you're an anarchist, you better support the Democrat because that's closer to an anarchist than a Republican. That's not a real decision. A Democrat's nothing like an anarchist that doesn't support their <laughs> views in any way, shape, or form except slight deviations on the most minute details. Uh -huh. So what choice are we allowed to make? So I finished making this point to my mom. We're in a theater, and like, there's ten people. It's like you know, older crowd. They're just looking at me like, I saw the devil, right? And he looked like a young man, right? Making, Who is that guy? Making making political attributes to his mother. <laughs> it was a good play. It was a play about uh, Sigmund Freud and C.S. Thomas debating the existence of God. So you knew they were thinking crowd. They weren't they weren't throwing stuff at me. But I definitely got a few strange looks. So maybe they did understand. I mean, like, if they're debating the existence of God and that's the play that you were at, then wouldn't these people, like, maybe be yeah, open towards the fact maybe that they're, they're atheists? No, maybe, they're, maybe they're more open-minded about things. I just think when you, when you have a type of conversation about something like that, you're forcing people to, like, to look at things differently. I'm not saying I'm right in how I look at things. That's just how I look at things. It's right for me at this time. Other people might be like, you know what, you're wrong. This is the system we have. We don't support it. We can't fix it. I think it's so broken it can't be fixed. It's got to be scrapped. Well, the two parties have narrowed your your choices down so far. It's watered the, the candidates down so much that um, you really don't know what their actual stance on is really what are your really views because you're trying to embrace such a large umbrella of people that you can't possibly know what these people actually think and they can't possibly feel as strongly about all of the opinions that people demand that they address either people only do at the end of the day what affects their bottom line so it's we talked about you know the confederate flag when we were discussing this you know, they pulled the TV show from, what, Dukes of Hazard from TV Land. And they're not selling the toys at Walmart. Just a good old boy. Well, in, in, until this was a news story, nobody had a problem with it. Right. The second it becomes a news story, these corporations respond. Now, is that because they have a corporate conscience? No. It's because it's affecting their bottom line. Politicians are the same way. When a politician's concerned... Well, it's opportunistic. When a it's like taking the flag down from freaking South Carolina. Yeah. When a politician... If there's a big problem, that shit should have been taken down when freaking things are good. So why'd they take it down now? Because they're well, concerned... Yeah, they needed fucking They're concerned they're going to lose their jobs. They need to black vote next time they come around. Hey, this is an issue now. This is what the, the, the voters... It's an important topic in this moment. If I don't take this stance, then the re-election comes around in a year, I'm not going to have a job. I'm only really interested in myself. I'm not interested in doing the right thing. If I was interested in doing the right thing, I would have done something about this when it wasn't politically convenient. But we only do things when it's politically convenient because it's our natural like human, human survival mechanism. Are we only motivated by um, an, an, an action? So like we're only stimulated by some – it's a response to a stimulus. You know what I'm saying? 
And like, oh shit, like I didn't even notice that because like really like we're unaware of the minute details of like life if they're not a problem, if they're not a thorn. No. And when they arise and then we address those issues, I mean, that would be the other argument, right? Is that, you know, although it looks opportunistic, it's just one of those things, well, I just overlooked it. It's that trap of the system that in order to make changes, you have to be part of the system and you have to work within it. But the system dictates that if you don't support it, you can't make those changes. So you ever you can't ever take a stance that goes against the fray. Like if in South Carolina, a few years. Well, if you're looking to like preserve your own like interests and and get reelected, you really can't rock the boat outside of any kind of movement in one direction by your party. So that's what I'm saying. We always talk about systemic, you know, problems because that that really is the root of all problems with institutions is that they're systemic, and. The way it's set up is like if you wanted to make that change, let's say a few years ago, remove the Confederate flag from the South Carolina Capitol House, if you took that stance, which we know is common sense and right, like it, put it in a war museum, put it wherever you want, put it on the back of your pickup truck, uh, you know, the government shouldn't be flying the flag of the people who tried to overthrow it. That just seems common sense to me. Seriously. Whatever it represents. So if you want to do that a few years ago, You'd probably lose your job as a representative of Congress, as a governor. Oh, yeah, it, without question. So you'd lose your job. So even though we all know that's the right stance, because it wasn't politically expedient, you can't take it. Now it's politically expedient, so everybody takes that stance. So what we're basically saying is we can't ever do the right thing because the system won't let us. Because guess what? If I don't get reelected, then I can't make that decision down the road when it's politically convenient. I, I totally agree we should get rid of the Confederate flag, but I'm going to wait for the right time to do it, and in order to get to the right time, I need to keep getting reelected. So we end up perpetuating all these things that we know in our heart of hearts are wrong because the system's structured that way. Hey, if I want to make changes, I need to be part of the system. If they kick me out of the system for wanting to make changes, how can I make those changes? You're forced to play that game, and the more you play that game, the more minute the changes come, the later they come. And it's it just it's part of the political. And the more process. it becomes about getting reelected than it does about making changes in general. Yeah, I mean that's the big problem with the political system. That's how it's structured in this society. There's supposed to be this release valves where, like you know, pressure builds up over time, and then change happens. That's what happened with the Confederate flag. But like so much has to happen before that release valve goes off and change happens. It affects the psyche of the country. I think you know how people feel. Like we don't handle any problem. Until it's blowing up in we're, our face. We're never proactive. We're never proactive. Like we're running out of water. We're reactive. <laughs> we're rea- and and we, we literally wait until it's crisis mode. We wait until like we have we have to do something about it. We'll never do it when it's like like I said when it's when well, we're it's taking like, action. It's, it's exactly it, or when it affects us directly, right? It's like you said about uh, the, um, the 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 man that had his son killed in Arizona by an illegal immigrant. Now all of a sudden he talked with Trump and he was like, oh, my, we're going to make sure that my son didn't die in vain and blah, blah, blah. And like before that happened, you didn't give a shit about illegal immigration. I mean, I'm just, I'm just maybe making it saying an opinion, but my, I mean, my thought process is you probably didn't. And, um, now all of a sudden you care and it's not even that big of an issue. I mean, I'm sorry about your son, but the fact of the matter is, is that the, the, the stats don't lie and whatever Trump says, and, uh, you know, if he doesn't believe them, he doesn't have to believe them. But uh, I'll take figures over one man's opinion any day, no matter how many hotels he fucking built. I agree with that for sure. I mean, I don't want to be unempathetic to that guy either. And as somebody coming from the military, how many times have you heard this? I don't want my son to have died in vain. Coming from the military, you've probably heard that a lot. Well, yeah. And I mean, but that's a natural response to a personal tragedy is I need to make sense of this personal tragedy and frame it in a way where I feel like it wasn't for naught. And that's, of course, a natural human instinct. So I don't want to be unempathetic to that guy because everybody kind of has that reaction. But we shouldn't make political decisions yeah, based but on don't the tragedy be like an of one Avenger, individual. Right? No, it's, <laughs> it's, just, it's a natural human instinct, I think, though. You know? I agree. I agree. And it's a tragedy. I mean, to lose, I mean, to, to bury your child, I couldn't, know, I could only imagine. I, I can't, I can't even wrap my head around it. I mean, I, it, it's got to be a terrible, terrible loss. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, the, it just doesn't support the claims of this one individual that, you know, the illegal immigrants in the country are 
uh, causing, uh, you know, the problem. Do I think we have an immigration issue in the country? Yes, I think we do. I think we need to uh, shed light on the uh, people that are here by, you know, figuring out a way to um, assimilate them in, into the community so they start, uh, you know, paying their fair share, which I think is a humongous thing is if, you know, if you're using public utilities and uh, emergency rooms and hospitals and everything else, then you need to be contributing to uh, the society. So I, I am pro- uh, you know, rooting out the illegal immigrants, but I'm a pro assimilation into the system, uh, wh wherever you are, pretty much amnesty. I'm, I'm all for that, dude. Just if you don't have the criminal record, if you're here and you've been here, then let's find a way to make sure that you're contributing and not, you're not, you're not draining from society. Well, that's an interesting sticking point because then it becomes, okay, well, you'll say amnesty to everyone before, but no one going forward. Well, why not? I mean, yeah, I mean, it, but you have to reform that system coming in, right? So you gotta you gotta figure out ways to streamline and make those channels more efficient in order to properly process people so as not to have such a buildup in the in the illegal immigrant population in the country again. It's funny when you look at it historically because America. I mean, doesn't that make the most sense, man? I mean, like honestly, think about it logically. Look at it. There's people here. We're not gonna get all of them out if we find a way to shed to to bring them out of the shadows and actually give them a a a a a, a a void, a face and a name and, you know, say, okay, look, we're going to do a vetting process. If you pass this vetting process, then you can say, America. now you're going to have, you're going to have a certain segment of society that's not going to come out of the darkness because like maybe they, they don't think they're going to pass the vetting process, but maybe they do. And you do snag a couple of people in those things and you have to get them back out of here. And that's just the way it's going to be. But the fact of the matter is, is that the only way moving forward isn't to go in with the same broken system of the past or go some irrational reactionary freaking all the way swing to the right and electrify the borders and freaking put drones up and freaking your favorite, the landmines, you know? You know, our, our current immigration stance, it's funny how it shifted. It's like Cuba, dude. What happens? You just get this stagnation of nothingness, and everything just continues to perpetuate the same way, and then people are driving 1950s cars on an island 90 miles from fucking Miami. Trapped in time. It's like it's like being <laughs> trapped in an era. It's crazy, apparently. Hope, things are changing now, hopefully they're for the better. You know, isolating them was definitely not a smart decision. But they have, like, the best, like, healthcare in the world. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, yeah, we'll take great care in the hospital, then you can go back to living in squalor. Yeah. You know, with dysentery running in your water. But anyway, what was I talking about? <laughs> I'm not even sure where you're going with that, with Cuba, to be honest. But I was saying about the immigration thing is, you know, with you look at any situation, and our policies changed over time because it was based on economics. This is a country that it built its wealth initially on slavery, and then when we got rid of that, We've spent the last 200 years exploiting different illegal immigrant bases: the Chinese, the Italians, or child labor, the Irish. The, you know, you can go, you can go through time of like this. Now it's been the Mexicans lately, or but, company stores and company towns like freaking Homestead, like Pennsylvania during the during the yes. uh, you know Industrial Revolution. There, like steel mills and coal mills owned the towns, and then you bought everything from the company store, so all your money was going back to the corporation, which which paid you, and they pretty much was like indentured servitude. So most of the economy at the time, a large portion of it, was built around exploiting immigrant labor. It was super cheap labor, and here's the thing. You could basically exploit immigrants here, and they were happy to be exploited because it was better than they, what they were getting back home. They were happy to be exploited here. That's the sad state of truth, is that getting exploited... Well, they still had the American dream, man. But that's, I can get rich, too. No, but like... One day, I'm going to be the exploiter. Hey, they'd be like, you know what? This guy may be paying me less than minimum wage, and I'm working a dangerous job, long hours... But at least I'm free to have that job, and I know they're not going to kick down my door and beat me to death because the king feels like it or something like that. Right. I mean, that's what it was like for immigrants. Now it's changed, though. Most of the economy, we've shipped these jobs overseas. We don't have our, our slave labor in-house anymore. We export it to India, to Pakistan, to Bangladesh, to the Philippines. The call centers in Just Asia. Just look on the inside of your shirt. Exactly. So all this all this labor that we used to take in-house, we wanted immigrants here to do this work. We're like, you know what? You can do it over there. We don't need you here to do the work. Yeah, so we don't need you here anymore. So the country that was built on the foundation of immigrants, apparently we don't want immigrants anymore because we don't have work for you here anymore. 
Right, exactly. Well, manufacturing jobs, right? And that's one of the interesting topics, too, when you talk about even with race and minorities. Uh, well, I mean, immigrants are obviously minorities, but if you want to talk about, uh, you know, the, uh, the African-American population as well, you know, the, the manufacturing jobs went out uh, and uh, a lot of those a lot of people in, in those communities were working in the, the factories like Firestone and all those other manufacturing plants that are now overseas as well. So you impoverish that entire segment of community, uh, you know, at, at the same time that you pretty much tell immigrants like, hey, don't come out, oh, you know, don't come over here. But, you know, the other thing is, is that they're like, oh, they took our jobs, you know, they're taking our jobs. The fact is, is that I work in an industry that uh, uses, uh, you know, some uh, – uh, unskilled labor wages and things like that and they can't find people to show up to work on time and to freaking actually put in a hard day's work and to do things with uh, any kind of pride or ethics or uh, you know take um, you know pride in their work and so you know who works better <laughs> some of the illegal. illegal immigrants yes picking the freaking strawberries out in freaking uh, El Centro breathing that bullshit air that we did that freaking uh, topic on a couple weeks back so vice uh, Vice, the, the news uh, channel, magazine, all that stuff, they do the HBO series. Uh, one of their episodes recently, a few weeks back, I forget where it was exactly. It was somewhere in the South. Like, I don't want to be wrong here, but I think it was like Mississippi or something like that. And they basically passed a law not allowing illegal immigrant work. Like, you could get heavily fined, you could get jailed for hiring illegal immigrant workers because there was this they took our job mentality. What they found was all the farmers, they were not happy afterwards. They couldn't find good labor. Nobody wants to work for minimum wage, six, seven dollars an hour in a hundred degree heat, bending over, picking rows and rows of strawberries or in a chicken coop, keeping those chick thousands of chickens in line and cleaning up after them. It is brutal, hard, painful, laborious work. And when they got rid of the illegal immigrants, they found they had a real, real tough time keeping any laborers. People would come and they'd be done in a day. Yep. They wouldn't come back. They're yep. like, I'd rather make welfare than have to do this. Because guess what? I could make $400 a week on welfare doing nothing, $300 a week on welfare doing nothing. Or I can do backbreaking labor for $400 a week. Right. Huh. It's, it's like the it's tough, like it's the, tough, tough decision, dude. It, it, but it's been happening ever since the beginning of time. That's what they always talk about uh, with the railroads. The railroads were built by Chinese because the Chinese were the ones that could stay healthy and freaking keep working, and the Americans wouldn't do it. The white guys wouldn't do it because it was hard ass work breaking through rock and slamming fucking sledgehammers every day, driving in dangerous, railroad ties, dangerous, dangerous work. And they couldn't find work either. So you know what they did? People fucking went over to freaking China, got drunk freaking Chinamen and freaking Japanese dudes like freaking drunk. And then fucking all of a sudden they woke up and they were like halfway to America. Yeah. It's basically like a <laughs> like an old school version of what they're doing in Dubai, right? Yeah. Some crazy. Let's, yeah, let's, 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 tri let's trick them to show up. And guitar. And little, little bait and switch. Hey, we're going to build these soccer stadiums, but you got to give us your passport. Don't worry. It pays really good and the accommodations are luxurious. Right? Well, Guess who you're building this for? Donald Trump. He loves you. He fucking told us so. Here's your bathroom. You're going to share it with about 400 people. There's one stall. <laughs> anyway, I think we pretty much nailed it all this week. Um, you know, we kind of bash Trump a little bit, but you know, he does a really good job of, uh, you know, being the target. And I don't think that he really minds it. Anything, any publicity is obviously good publicity for him, or he wouldn't, uh, you know, continue to, uh, go down this road of burning bridges with people that he's done business with like Macy's and NBC. And he's actually turned it in such a way that people that follow him are all like boycott Macy's and boycott freaking NBC and blah, blah, blah. And it's such an interesting thing. So we're just gonna have to watch the, uh, the, 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 the rocket, the bottle rocket, which is Donald Trump, and uh, find out uh, when he pops. When he pops. Yeah, you know, like you said, we went after Trump a little today. I like to say we took a dump on Trump. Dump that, Trump. No, no, took a dump. Took on, a dump. On took Trump. a dump on Trump. That's the phrasing I want to Trump use. Trump a dump. You know, we discussed a little bit of the problems with the uh, political structuring, immigration policy, stuff like that. Definitely took it in a few interesting directions that I wasn't expecting, but I'm glad we went there. Uh, a little more unpolished in our podcast today. We were going on no notes, ladies and gentlemen, completely freewheeling it. So it's a little tougher to have some uniform train of thought sometimes. But That's I my freestyle. Yeah, it, 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 you went after it today, Matt. I like I'm going to write this down later tonight. <laughs> so I, I really enjoyed talking to you today, Matt. Uh, I'm sure we're going to hear more about Donald Trump. 
going forward, unless he gets like hit by a bus, I don't want to talk about him. Him and Sheriff Joe, man. Joe right? Arpaio. Yeah, they're freaking boys now. Are they hanging out in Arizona together? Well, I, I'm, I don't really want to listen to like old, ugly, sunburnt, fat, white conservatives tell me their worldviews anymore. I mean, they've had their time. They, they had a good run for 60, 70 years. Can't they shut the hell up and let somebody younger do it? The fact of the matter is, and what I find interesting about a lot of these people, and we're just going to hit on this real quick because it, it does bother me, is that, you know, you don't know what my life is like. I live in a city, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a mixed bag of people and uh, viewpoints and ethnicities. Neighborhoods, and Neighborhoods and cultures and lifestyles. And you don't know anything about it. Most of the people that are coming up with this bullshit and these these views of, that are so uh, staunchly conservative and narrow in their fucking scope are people that are freaking never, ever, ever even realize that there was as many minorities in this country as there are. Like, they live in these freaking worlds that, that they're not exposed to this stuff. So it really just comes out of ignorance. Trump has been to the border three times in years, and then he's all of a sudden can talk about immigration in Mexico and like all these things and what it's about. And, and it's just interesting. You know what? Get out there. Expose yourself to other things. Be open-minded. And then make a decision. Don't make that shit from your freaking couch watching some freaking news show where they're all blonde white chicks telling you what to believe. Yeah, I think when I came over, we were drinking some coffee. Like CNN or something was running in the background. And whenever there's mainstream news on, it's like, man, this is just like spoon-fed garbage. Just like trying to feed you some bullshit narrative about some story that's not important. And you're just wasting space in your brain. So you're right. Don't just watch the boob tube and take that for fact. Have discussions with people. Listen to different viewpoints that are wrong from yours. Even if you disagree, you might have some nuance now that you have a different thought about it. And I'm not approach. even saying that your viewpoints are wrong. What I'm saying is, is get other viewpoints and then make another decision. Just widen your information bracket. Exactly. I mean, like, in order to take a shit on Donald Trump... I first had to eat some of his knowledge, and then I could take a shit of it. Because yeah, that's I didn't what understand was. where he was coming from. Yeah, and then I can make a decision about the guy. He gave me yeah. some. He gave me some really bad. When every freaking chicken. when every freaking sentence starts with I, or me, or when I built, or when they listen to blah blah. Anyway, Mr. Trump, it's comb over is still rocking, brother. So you still got that going for you. And uh, other than that. I don't know, man. I'm waiting to see how many burns, uh, bridges you burn on this uh, on this trip down the river this time. Yeah, or up the river. We'll see. We'll see what happens to Donald Trump and his continued quest to uh, save the world from all that is rot by uh, you know getting in front of a TV camera and telling us how wrong we all are. He's he's a real crusader for justice, Donald Trump. Truly, he's going to make America great. Pleasure as always, Mr. Matt. Let's uh, let's do it again soon, man. I, I like doing these regularly. Uh, let's, let's get consistent, my friend. Next week, it's on. All right, Material Devolution. Have fun, everybody. Love you. Much love.